That was a good scream, Jess. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I saw you, you had little pointy ears today. Um, Cassie and Jasmine live together, so all that was true. Everything was true that they just said. Can we give them a hand? The great job. If you're new with us, my name is Pastor Chris Pate, and I'm the lead pastor here. Very thankful to be able to be up here, speak the word of God to you today. Thank you for coming. If you're online, been with us, uh, we welcome you as well, and we're thankful to have you. We are going to go into part eight of our parable series, and we love sharing stories and parables of Jesus. I don't know about you. But I constantly, as we've said before, have narratives. And even this morning, right, if you're not careful, you could turn like all the notifications off on your phone, uh, which is helpful to do or turn them off till a certain time. If you don't do that, I highly recommend it. It's so great. Otherwise you get, hey, the newest news or whatever's happening today. And it's a story. It's a story delivered right to your phone to get you to start your day off just great, isn't it? How many of you guys start with coffee? Anybody, coffee people in here? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, liquid anointing, anybody? Yeah, yeah. Coffee's good, way to start. Um, probably the worst way to start is with the news and story in general. In fact, and I'm not saying anything against this particular um, news station, but I had read an article about Fox News not too long ago, and we're not anti this or that necessarily, but this is for story purposes. And they had to change something on their graphic on TVs where the Fox News graphic at the bottom of the TV would move and turn because they noticed people would wake up turn on Fox News in the morning and leave and it would be on all day going through their house and because the graphic wasn't moving, it was just sterile, just right there, it burned into their TV, that Fox News. And Fox News had to change something and say, okay, we got to get this thing moving because people will do that. Now, whether it's CNN, Fox News, whatever, I don't care where you are. That's not what this sermon's about. But here's the idea. We all have stories going through our head, filling our inbox, narratives that give us a filter for the day or for life. And at City Life Church, our passion is that the story of God will fill your head more than all the other stories. Not that you become blind to what's going on in the world. You need to know, but we want to anchor and to imprint on you Jesus's words, his story, more than any other story out there. Amen? That's why we're doing this parable series. And the goal is to connect the stories of the kingdom of God that Jesus brings to our everyday life because it is so relevant to our life. So let's dive right into today's parable in the scripture today in Luke chapter 17. Last week, we ended Luke chapter 16 on the story about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. And we talked about this concept of hell and what it means and what that is. If you didn't, if you weren't on there or didn't listen to it, we encourage you to listen to it as we're trying to open the word of God and use the parables that Jesus gave. This is right after that parable. And it starts this way. Then he, Jesus, said to the disciples, it is impossible 
that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Pausing for effect. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants we have done what was our duty to do. It's the word of the Lord. Now, let's talk about this, but let's get some context around what we just read. Let me give you a day in the life of Jesus. When Jesus is teaching, he is often addressing different types of people. Sometimes he's addressing his disciples, and, and his disciples could be hundreds, you understand, not just the 12. Sometimes he's addressing the 12. Sometimes he's addressing one of them. Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? He talked to Peter. How would you like to be called Satan by Jesus? Okay, here we go. Sometimes and many times he's addressing the people in general with a general teaching. And a lot of times he's addressing people that have said something against him. The Pharisees are religious, or the Sadducees, those that were religious but also more political. And he would address them. And it's interesting, and it's good to note when you're reading the Bible, who is Jesus talking to? Because that actually does frame what it is that he's trying to say. For instance, I have, I'm a parent of teenagers. This is my oldest son, the one that I sired first. You're welcome. Um, we're getting ready for college. And I will talk to him and address him a little bit different than I might you. Aren't you thankful? And I hope you know that. So the way I'm talking to him or trying to have a father-son conversation might be different than how I'm going to address you in a counseling meeting or out in the street. Not because I'm not authentic, but because who I'm addressing, I might say things differently. Now, in context of some of the things that were happening, even just within a 24 to 48 hour period of Jesus up to this point from the scripture we just talked about, Jesus addresses different people. He had to address 
the religious leaders, you could see on here, who were calling him a heretic for healing people on the Sabbath. And so then he talked about them and their laws that were not biblical and what is most important, people over commands necessarily and commands of man specifically. And he addressed them and would talk to them. Another time, and this is what we looked at last week, he's addressing money-loving Pharisees who were disdaining him for emphasizing the kingdom of God over all other things because they loved money. And that's partly, partly what we talked about yesterday. And anybody who loves something more, he, he liked to get kind of to the root. You actually say you love God, but you love ABCD more. And he would address them and talk to them. And it's good to look at that context. Right now, what we just read, and we're gonna go back, is we saw he's addressing, we said, his disciples, the scripture says. He's talking to his disciples. And this is like a debrief or a leadership moment. And that's important to know because he's gonna go into a parable, but he's talking to people that are following him, that are already believers, and he's trying to debrief the day. You remember when I said this to these people? Remember all these kind of things? Remember what I just said? And he's giving them a final takeaway and he's trying to teach them like a good father or like a good rabbi would do to disciples. And so it's important to know who he's addressing as we're talking. And so today, we're going to address specifically the believers, the Christians in the room. What does it mean to be a Christian? And Jesus is going to help us understand how we should think and then also how we should act as believers. Now, when it comes to Jesus's words, he is often, often using paradox. Now, if you're not familiar, a paradox is this to seemingly contradictory realities that are coexisting when it seems like they should be an either or situation. In our world today, go with me, help me out here. We struggle with the concept of paradox. We love to grab one side and hold on to it like it's all true and don't know how to critically think often to say two things can kind of be true at the same time and I need to learn how to function in that kind of way. Can I get an amen? amen. Anybody help me out? Come on, Earl's my amen corner. I've already told, I've already told you what you got to do. There we go. <laughs> I said, you got to stand in point because I need help today because this is a hard message. Paradox. Thinking in paradox. This is critical thinking. This is right thinking. And this is, let me say this, biblical thinking. This is Jesus's way to try to help us understand. Listen, not just our tunnel vision world with our echo chambers of one way is the only way, always the right way. Because you can read one article and then Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever will feed you that same algorithm to make you just get deeper and deeper into that way. And you don't even look to any other idea or any other way, even to defend your way really well. And you're just stuck in one way. And if you do that with scripture, it's going to be very dangerous. If you do that with Jesus, it's very dangerous. Jesus is going to show us how to live in tension. So let's talk about tensions, holding something. We know in weightlifting and exercise, in any kind of growth, intellectual, spiritual, you have to have tension. As long as you don't have tension or more weight or put yourself through some kind of struggle, you will not grow. And in fact, you will atrophy and it's dangerous for you because it will ultimately kill you. You are not meant to sit still. You are meant to live in tension, but we don't like tension. We want 
to just go to one extreme and camp there because it feels easy, but it's lazy and it's dangerous. And Jesus comes in and builds tension into our life. Tension in the way we think. And tension is so important. I'll give you an example. Me and my wife do a lot of premarital counseling. We do all the marital counseling. We've been married almost 21 years coming up in a couple weeks. And not just because we've been married a long time doesn't mean we're amazing people, but we've lived long enough. We've been doing this a while. We've known each other since we were nine years old. We understand relationship and the struggle and how hard it can be. And we will talk to people in marriages and they have this idea that the spouse is the problem or this issue is the problem and that everything that they're struggling with is a problem that they need to solve. And I'm here to say, most things in life, especially relationally, are not problems to solve, but rather tensions to manage. They're not problems to solve, but tensions to manage. If you look at everything as a problem to solve, everything is a nail and all you need is a hammer. So that person or that thing, so here's what happens in marriage. You've been married for more than one second and that person is driving you crazy and you are fighting about the same thing over and over and years later, you're like, we're still fighting about the same thing. I need someone different because we're not solving this problem and the problem is it's not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage that is growing you, that is strengthening you, that sometimes you do really well, sometimes you don't because the act of relationship is forgiveness and repentance constantly. Tension, living in tension. Let me give you some other tensions. Heart and skill. You ever see somebody, man, they got a great heart, but they dumb, man, they don't know what they're doing. Or someone, they're very competent, but they're full of pride and they know it. They're hard to work with. Tension. We don't say, oh, we just want a really good heart, but I don't care if you're any good. No, you need to grow. But we don't do the opposite. We live in tension, and it's a constant tension between the two, isn't it? Here's another one. Strong and meek. Not weak, but meek, humble. We want both. How about this one? Objectivity and subjectivity. You need to be objective, but we also have our current subjective realities that we need to take in. How about this idea? Excellence and opulence. That's a tension to hold because not, not all excellence means you have to expend the most and do the most. I used to be a youth pastor. I know. Here's, here's a dollar for 100 kids. Okay, duct tape. We're going to figure this thing out. I'm going to be excellent. Here's a big one for our culture, community and individual. This is a tension to manage because you need both right? If we just say community, 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 you need people, you need people. That is so true, but we can do that and then just like a certain type of community or a certain color of community or a certain type of culture and community and leave out the imago Dei, the individual and what they bring individually and their value individually. But see, that's not our problem in America. We actually are way over here in individualism. Everything's about the individual, what you think, what's right for you. Everything's about you And we leave that community and think, I got this. And you forget community. But listen, this is not a problem to solve. You don't just go to one or the other. You need both. And we manage tension together as a people. We value you individually, your salvation individually, but it's not the salvation. And your your, your relationship with Jesus is not private, although it's partly private, but it is also very public. 
community, individual, I could just do a whole series on that. Traditions and innovation. Loving self and denying self. Ooh, that's a hard one, isn't it? No, just me? Okay. History and contemporary. We're foreign and familiar. Like looking back and honoring some of the things, but also disdaining some of the things and not just throwing the baby out of the bathwater, but also progressing and moving forward. It's a tension that we should live in, not just go to one side or the other, not just a problem to solve. Okay, I don't have time to keep going on that, but you get it. Now here, I'm gonna misspell something, but this is for a reason. Here's a takeaway for today. You have to fight to be intentionally in tension. You have to fight to be intentionally in tension. Again, our default is not to do it, but you have to pursue it and fight for it. Jesus is gonna give us what it means to be a Christian and how to do this, and he's gonna give us some paradox. He's gonna give us some tensions in this scripture. So we wanna be intentionally Christian tensions. Here they are. Here's some intentionally, got it? Christian tensions, here we go. Here's two that we're gonna look at today. Watching and discerning and forgiving. And I'm gonna explain this in a second. This is the first four verses. And then faith and duty. Let's go, you ready? Luke 17, one through four, here's where he starts. Here's our tension, watching, discerning, and forgiving. Let me explain. Then he said, who's he addressing? His disciples, okay. Don't be be Baptist, come on, you can talk. (laughs) Then he said, To the disciples, he's addressing them. It is impossible that no offenses should come. I love this. Stop. You're going to get offended. Somebody's going to do something to hurt you. See, oftentimes when you serve God, you think now everything's going to be great. If any preacher ever said, come to the front, God's going to give you your best life now. That might be too mean. Um, Which there's elements of truth to that. Hold attention. But it's not a complete truth because how many of you guys gave your life to Christ and things got worse? <laughs> oh my, our campus minister's like, man, oh, totally. Because Jesus puts you in tension. He's growing you. So what does he say? He says, listen, I know you're following me. We're seeing miracles. All these things are happening. But notice, people are trying to trap me. That's what this word offense means. It means to trap. The Greek word is scandalon. It means like having a trap, like a fox trap or some kind of trap where the the little wood goes down and they're just waiting for you to hit it and catch you. He says, people are setting traps. Don't be dumb. Don't think we're living in some utopian that God's just totally, everything's going to always work out for you and it's always great. Look at me. People are setting traps for me. They're trying to get me. Ultimately, we know he's going to die naked, stripped, beaten, not even recognizable on a cross. He says, if if people do that to me, they're going to do it to you. Don't have a mentality and worldview that everything's just going to work out and God owes you a happy life because you gave your life to him. This is where he starts. And it's important to think about this. Do I think this way? When I'm angry at God because things don't work out for me, do I have this mentality that offenses shouldn't come? That there's not people out there looking to trap me like they did Jesus? And then he says, but whoa, this is a big deal. We don't use a lot of whoa language nowadays, except for like if you're a surfer dude. But I mean, whoa. Is, is extreme language for this is really, really bad. It's not going to go well for you. And this is God taking care of it. 
to him through whom they do come. God's going to take care of it, the people that are looking to offend you, but also God will take care of you if you're intentionally offending someone else, because look what he says. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, it's pretty graphic, than that he should offend one of these little ones. He's not just talking about kids, he's talking about, if you look in the Greek, he's talking about believers. One of my believers, one of my followers. But listen, he says this, take heed to yourselves. So you don't just watch out for people that are out to get you because if you don't hold this intention, here's the tension, if you don't hold this intention, you will just be like that person that says, I've got the gift of judgment and discernment. You know those people in church? I've got the gift of discernment. And then they gossip about somebody that they just know something's wrong with them. Maybe God gave you that gift to pray for that person, to help that person, to disciple that person, to encourage that person, not to gossip about them and just because you know but see, if you don't hold tension, what you're going to do is, well, Jesus says, watch out, people are out to get me. But then he says, take heed that you don't do the same thing. That you don't cause someone else to stumble. So there's two stumbling blocks, someone that's trying to cause you to stumble, and then you, through your action or inaction, causing someone else to stumble. L let me go here for a second, okay? Let's talk about our society today in the Christian world and masks. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, 14, 15, Paul is addressing Christians. And there's some Christians that would not want to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Because they thought, well, that, I mean, that was sacrificed to those idols, those demons. I'm not going to eat that because I don't want that to come on me. And Paul says, we know that through prayer, that it's going to be okay. Like, it can be sanctified in Jesus' name. And he says that that's not necessarily true. That's not a bad thing. But here's what he doesn't say. Disdain those people that do it or that don't do it. Here's what he says. He says, in your freedom to be able to do whatever you want, don't be, same word, a stumbling block for someone else. Just because you say, I'm free, I've got my own values that I believe, but someone else struggles with that. The Bible says that the higher law is not freedom like our idol in America, but love. And he even says this, and this is, I, I, I totally believe it. I don't think it's wrong to drink alcohol. I think it's wrong to get drunk. Okay. But I don't think it's wrong to drink a little bit. But if I'm out with someone who struggles with drinking, who maybe even, they don't struggle, but they had an alcoholic father and they struggle with the concept. And if they saw a pastor drinking, listen, I don't go, bro, I'm free. Because the higher law, it's not my freedom, is love. I love you too much to be, same word, scandal, a stumbling block to you. This is what Jesus is saying. Are we okay? Now you're offended. Here we go. Now that you're offended. Online, now that you're offended and all YouTube and someone's gonna take it out of context and I'm gonna get killed. Here we go. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, which means to stop or arrest. Like stop it. Hey, don't do that. And if he repents, Greek word metanoia, which means to change the way you act and think. 
where we get the term metamorphosis, a change. Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times, listen, in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And they all went, bro, that's good for you. What? I don't have time to go into all of this because we got a lot to cover, but listen, Jesus won't ask you to do anything he doesn't do himself. And when we go, man, there's no way. Somebody spit in my face and then later was like, man, my bad, I'm so sorry. And you're like, hey, it's all good. Three minutes later, spit in my face again or called me a word or called me a name or did something to me, but then kept genuinely repenting as I was like, hey, that's offensive. They kept doing it, but then they kept repenting. I have to forgive them as if that's the first time ever. That's hard, isn't it? And I know there's a lot of hurt in this room, but let me tell you, these people understood hurt. He's talking to disciples that they would have even their coin, the Roman coin, had a Roman soldier with his foot on the neck of a Jew, and that was their coin. They constantly saw this. You talk about offensive. Jesus says this, and they're all going. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he won't do himself, and if God... How many of us have gone, man, God, I'll never do that again. (laughs) This is reassuring and reaffirming to me that God says, I'll forgive. I'm not going to ask you to do anything I won't do. But there's tension here. What's the tension? Listen, what was the tension? Watching and discerning, knowing that there's trouble and someone might be out to get you and you could be trouble to someone else. Don't be oblivious, but also be ready to forgive. Walk in that tension. Here's the next one. And notice the response the apostle said to him, increase our faith. I need more faith, which is an accurate response because you're going, I can't do that in and of myself. I don't know about you. I need God to infuse me with some kind of supernatural, like all of the rings of Thanos and by the power of grace school for me to be able to do the things that I need to do that you're asking me to do. Increase my faith. What's interesting is when he's walking on water, they didn't cry out, increase our faith. When he's feeding the 5,000, they didn't say, oh, just increase our faith. But when he says, forgive someone, I don't don't have it. Real talk, isn't it? The Bible's not relevant at all to us, though. Man, it's just old and antiquated. Verse 6, so the Lord said, I got to hurry. If you have faith as a mustard seed, as a, as a, give us faith. He's like, well, let's talk about faith. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, a mulberry tree, by the way, would be roughly 75 to 90 feet tall, a tree that was not deep, deep roots, but really, really wide roots, very hard to uproot. He says, you could say to that thing, they're staring at, oh my gosh, be pulled up by the roots just with your words, be planted in the sea and it would obey just with living faith. And then he goes into this weird parable. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you. When you have done all those things which you are commanded, Forgive, watch, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done 
what was our duty to do? I don't know about you, but upon first glance, you're going, I don't get the relationship. This is weird. Have faith. And then he goes into a servant. This is Jesus giving attention. Here's the tension. Let's talk about this idea of a servant or slave. And every time, especially in American culture, we have to explain this from a biblical perspective. Yes, there was horrible slavery where masters owned people. But listen, the Bible always refuted that and hated that. God was always against that. Always. Always. When it's talking about servanthood here, it's talking about indentured servanthood. And this is what indentured servanthood was at the time. If you were in debt and you were, you know, you could not pay all your debt. You had something go wrong and you owed a creditor debt. You couldn't just file bankruptcy and have the government cover you like we do now. They did not have those laws. And in fact, they thought that was immoral. That was not right. You should have a level of responsibility and you or someone else could redeem it and pay it for you, but you need to take care of it. Now, Indentured servitude was this. I am in debt to a creditor. I can't pay you. And listen, they have the right to either throw me in jail or I would come serve under them until I paid off my debt. Now that service did not mean they owned me as a person, but they did own my labor. This is very different. This is a whole governmental system. And if you don't understand that, you're going to read this and you're just going to go, Jesus is dumb. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We've gotten past this. God is anti-slavery in the sense that we make anybody property and we own them. But if you owe a debt, you would have to work it out. And this system was better than just throwing you to jail and you just live amongst other thieves. As the Bible says, bad company corrupts good morals. It was actually more moral because now you're under someone who more than likely was somewhat good with money and now you get to work with them until you pay off your debt. Are you understanding what I'm saying? This was common in the culture. So when he's given this example, here's what he says. He says, many of you, because he's talking to people that, disciples that maybe had debt before, had family that was in debt and served at one point and then got out of it because they paid their debt. But he said, many of you, you understand this, you don't, after coming home, you've got a servant that owes you, literally owes you money. You don't owe him anything. He owes you everything. He comes in from the field. He's hot. He's tired. But you've also come in from work or whatever you're doing. You don't say, hey, bro, hey, just sit there, kick up enjoy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook you something. And they were like, yeah, of course, nobody does that. Why? Because the owner would come in and lay back and recline and say, okay, bro, fix, fix me my, my dinner. Now, does that mean you don't say thank you or anything? Like he wasn't saying that, but he's saying it was just common. Of course, you don't owe them anything. In fact, they owe you. And he said, they just do their duty. Why is this important? Why is it important to talk to disciples and believers about this? In the context of faith, in the tension of faith, a couple of reasons. Number one, if you had the kind of faith that you said to a tree, go into the Galveston, it's not really an ocean, it's a fake ocean, go there. <laughs> you had that kind of faith, do you think maybe you, you'd be a little prideful? You know, God just kind of honors me because I'm trustworthy. 
He honors my word. He does what I, what I ask. Every time I pray, people get healed. Lives change. Come, sit at my feet. Because I've got the faith that you need. It's my faith. It's my thing. It cost you a little bit of pride, wouldn't it? We don't know any teachers like that. Man, how'd you get such a big church? Or how'd you do this thing? Oh, just God's doing miracles. Well, here's the deal. Three steps. Here's my book. And so Jesus says, no, no, see, your attitude is God doesn't owe you anything. You owe him everything. You're the indentured servant with the debt of sin and death and hurt and pain And God is the one, listen, that took you in. He doesn't owe you a great life. Do you know that? You know know how much freedom you get when you get past the idea of, I've done these things and so why are bad things happening to me? That creates such anger and frustration with God that you're like, God owes me and yet, whoa, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Yes, you can have that kind of faith because you're a son or daughter of God. That's one tension. But here's the other tension. You're just a servant too. Being a Christian is more than just being a servant, but it's not less. And this is what Jesus says, and he's talking to his disciples. You gotta hold this. You can have great faith. Here's the other thing though. Not only if you had great faith, like you need to consider yourself serving, you need to be humble and confident. Not only that, but it's really important to understand that God did not have to bring you in. Just like if, if you look in Matthew 18, it's, there's a, another parable, and this parable is this person uh, with, with, that owes a lot of money, like millions of dollars, and the person forgives their debt, and then he goes, and the guy that owes him $17, he, he puts him in jail, and the, 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 the other person said, man, how could you do that? And I'm going to throw you in jail. Listen, God, because of who we are and what we have, could just throw us away, and yet he brings us in. And there's something beautiful in that society, what was called a bond servant. Paul calls himself a bond servant of Christ. An idea of a bond servant wasn't just someone that's working until they pay off their debt but they love the person that they're working under so much, they would actually pierce their ear and ask if they could serve them for the rest of their life because they saw the way their family was. They realized, you know what? Where else would I go where I would have this kind of love, gift, everything? I, I want to serve you forever. And that person could say, no, I'm good. You paid your debt. Or that person could say, yes, be a part of my family. Paul says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. He even says, woe to me, same woe, if I don't preach the gospel as a dutiful servant. And here's the deal. Here's what we've got to take away is we've got to hold this tension of faith and I'm a son or daughter of God and I'm confident and I pray and I believe and I seeing God move and don't lose that, please. But we also have to keep the attitude of God owes me nothing. I owe him everything. And it's this four letter word that we hate, duty. D-U-T-Y, we hate it. 
because we think we should always feel like, I, I should like feel like serving God. I should feel like giving to the church. I should feel like not having sex until I'm married. No, I'm just, this is who I am. It's my duty as a son of God because I know he didn't have to ransom me. He doesn't owe me. I owe him everything. That's what it means to be a little Christ, a Christian. You know, this is the time of year where people are always, we need to bring Christ back in Christmas and we get mad at Starbucks. <laughs> so dumb. So dumb. We need to bring Christ back in Christian. My life. That, I didn't tell you when, good job. My life, my all. I don't feel like serving you, God. But you don't owe me. I owe you everything. And you're worthy. It might not grow, go perfectly for me, but it will go best for me. I don't know the best way. I get mad at God. Why didn't you do it my way? Am I that smart? If I was that smart 20 years ago, I would have put stock in Apple, dang it, or Amazon. I ain't that smart. I don't know what's coming. But I think I do in the moment, and God owes me. And Jesus says, no, keep that faith. Don't lose it. Don't be those weird people that are just always just suffering for Jesus. Still believe for God to do amazing things, but don't miss the attitude. That I'm doing my duty to you, God, whether I feel like it or not, whether it makes me happy or not. Happiness is not a result of my circumstances, but of the object of my faith. And that's Jesus. I want to end, and we're, we're wrapping up here, with our communion. And I like to do our communion intentionally. Not just something we tag in at the end, but this is part of our altar call. Why? Because we're being reminded of the one who was broken for us. And you might say, man, there's every week we just do communion and talk about Jesus. Right, because you're hearing a lot of other stories. You're not, you need to be reminded more than you need to be instructed. And so do I. Who Jesus is one thing I love is when Jesus is talking about, you know, you guys, you have a servant. You're not going to just serve them at the end of the day because they owe you. You don't owe them anything. What's beautiful is Jesus says these words in Luke 12 as he's talking about be watchful and ready because I'm going to come back for my bride. Don't be caught lazy. Be ready. Be diligent. Work. Do your duty. Here's what he says. Listen. Blessed are those servants, that's us, whom the master, that's Jesus, when he comes, will find watching. Like we're ready because we've been doing our duty as people who owe God everything. He says this, listen to this. Assuredly, I say to you that he, the master, will gird himself. This is the idea of putting a towel around his waist and have them sit down, us, the servant and will come and serve them. Jesus says, you know, you wouldn't do that. But he says, I will. 
because God knows all about leadership and serving, loving. In our natural way, we don't do it, but he does in his way. And he calls us to do the same to others, to serve and to love. This is the Jesus that as we take the bread and we look, we break it and we look at the broken pieces, we see the wreck, the wreckage, the brokenness. This is the one that says, listen, you owe me everything. I'll be broken. Take on your debt for you. I will serve you. And if he did that before, he will do it again. 